We are in the second book of the Psalms. What chapter begins the second book? Well, that Jeff knows. 42. <laughs> yes and no. <clears throat> 42 is the number. But that was a trick question. <clears throat> Can anybody tell me what the trick is besides Jeff? There aren't chapters in the Psalms. So when some well-meaning person says, my favorite part of the Bible is Psalms chapter 23. Ain't no such. Each Psalm is a stand alone. And that's why so far, <clears throat> you know if you've been here every Sunday since we started this, you have heard consecutively each of the first 47 psalms. So we did 47. The next number would be 48. That's great. <clears throat> and it puts me to mind something we'll revisit in Psalm 87. The third verse says, Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. Now, I was born in Oakland. And compared to the country, I'm a recovering city boy. Some of you dear people use an expression every once in a while. I've never heard that one before. So be patient with this city boy. <clears throat> but cities aren't necessarily bad things. Depends on who started it and who's keeping it going. And this song celebrates a city. In my neck of the woods growing up, people talk about the city. They call it the city by the bay. The city was San Francisco. I'll tell you what, other parts of the city I don't want to visit. I'm not talking about Chinatown. Bad stuff going on. There were bad stuff going on. There was bad stuff going on in the cities in Abraham's day. In fact, there were a couple of them. One was Sodom and the other was Gomorrah. <clears throat> let's read this 48th Psalm, all 14 verses. Great is the Lord, and great will be to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Give me a real quick geography lesson. Zion was a mountain, but atop Zion, there was a city, and we know that place now as Jerusalem. In Abraham's day, it was called Salem. You know what Salem means? Salem means peace. And there was a man in Abraham's day. He was the king there. And his name was, call him Mel for short, Melchizedek. And so, what was formerly known as Salem came to be known and is today known as Jerusalem. So this is about Jerusalem. But folks, there's more than one Jerusalem. It was outside the city of Jerusalem that Jesus was crucified. And I believe in the book of Revelation there's a passage which speaks of Sodom, where the Lord was crucified. We're talking about the earthly Jerusalem. There is a, another, a heavenly Jerusalem. And I think this psalm is speaking prophetically. If your hope is in the earthly Jerusalem, 
That's not so much prophetic to me as prophetic. But that's another message. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Remember that back in Psalm 46? God is our refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and ate as of a woman in travail. Gentlemen, we really don't know what that is except hearing from believers. And I believe when the fellow says, if we gave birth instead of the ladies, we'd all be only children. My hat's off to the lady that gives birth. And uh, if she can give birth to more than one, that's even more remarkable. There's a fellow that teaches in Conway. I think Mr. Andrews is going to get to see him in a few months. His name is Virgil Porter. Virgil Porter was pastor of the church. And there was a man, he and his wife, they waited a long time before they started their family. And she went into the delivery room and she had hard labor. And when she came out, she looked at said, let's not do that again. <laughs> And they did. I think it was us fellas. I'm not will adopt that we have anymore. Okay? They saw it and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there and pain as a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. As I said, Psalm 87 says, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. Spiritually speaking, I shock some people when I say this. Of course, I shock people anyway. Just my looks, maybe. But uh, I'll tell them I'm a Zionist. What? But not what you're thinking. God will establish it forever. I believe that. I hope you do too. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let Mount rejoicing in the Psalms, now isn't it? Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion. Go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. That ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever. He will be our guide even unto death. As I said, this is already anticipated back in Psalm 46. And we talk about cities... We're talking about a place that somebody can regard as their home. You've got a sense of belonging, sense of having a voice. That's where we get our word citizenship. If you're born in this country, keep breathing to your 18th birthday, you have the rights of citizenship. Was it just during the Trump administration that Sister Margaret McDole? became a citizen. For some reason, she didn't want to make that commitment under a previous administration. But uh, you could be born and be a big person and do all kinds of things. But if you weren't born here, you could be naturalized. You know, you got to take a test. You have to be able to know the presidents and Know something about the threefold nature of our government. When people talk about the House, and they talk about the Court, and they talk about the Capitol, uh, those aren't just words we throw around. They represent some institutions in the capital city. It confuses people from other countries with it. They said, now, 
oh, uh, tell me about the state. Well, the state's Arkansas, but it's what's 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 that flag? That's the United States of America. But a state is a nation. Well, actually, we are the United States of America. That's the name of our nation. <clears throat> it's comprised of 50 independent states. And they have a consensus, and so we have a national government as well. That confuses some Europeans. But then again, some Europeans do things that confuse us. I want you to know that men have boasted of their cities, the ones founded by men. <clears throat> you know what Cain did when he realized he had a mark, when he knew he had messed up big time, when he slew Abel, he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And it says he went east and established a city. Men have been establishing cities ever since. The beginning of the human race, we have Cain establishing a city he called Enoch. After the flood, we find that some went to the plain of Shinar and they established a city and that city also had a tower and they said, let's build this thing. I get the idea they built that thing so that if the planet ever floods again, they could have something to climb into. They, they weren't afraid of the big bad God because they could have a safety. They had a plan. <clears throat> and so God didn't zap them with a lightning bolt. He just sent the rain. And that windows of heaven were open. And the waters of the deep came forth. After that, of course, they built this city. They built this tower, and they called it Babylon. That represents man. Man's efforts. Man's motivation. <clears throat> Exodus 1 tells us that when the Hebrews had multiplied in the land of Goshen, a swamp up there, something like the Delta, down Louisiana way. There were so many of them that the Pharaoh said, we're going to put those people to the north. We're going to put them to work. And I want them to build treasure cities. Brag on me to show people I'm really something. I've really done something. And in the book of Daniel, we read about Nebuchadnezzar strutting around. And he says, is this mighty Babylon that I have built with my two hands. I'll bet he never carried any hog. I doubt he ever placed any of those bricks or had any beams go up. No, he did the talking. He said, you do this and you do that. Get it done. But there are a lot of cities in history that have influenced our present world. <clears throat> the Greeks had an understanding that each city was its own little government, its own little entity. And the group of individuals defending that became known as the police. Because it was called a polis. Metro means big, so a metropolis. That's not just where Superman comes from. That means a big city. Okay? Each one of the polis, that's plural for polis, was a self-sufficient city-state with its own government. And of course, in a lot of ways, the Greeks and the Romans affected our institutions and understandings about government. When Alexander came down from the north, Macedon, or Macedonia as some say, he came down and knocked their heads together and said, from now on, we're all going to be considering ourselves, we would say today, Greeks. They call them Hellas. And so he decided to carry that civilization, to be civilized, put you in a city, if you will. Well, 
what the Greeks had lasted for a while, but it came apart at the seams after Alexander died. And the pieces got picked up and amalgamated and increased <clears throat> all out of a city in what we call Italy, a city on the Tiber called Rome. And when you were in the Roman Empire, you were considered a citizen of Rome. You had special advantages if you had Roman citizenship. Rome became known as the Eternal City. They claimed a date of the 700s B.C. By the time the Lord comes to this world and little churches were starting, Rome was already the only show that really counted as far as everything's concerned. As far as everything, that was the world. When you read the New Testament, that they've overturned the world. The word's gone out into all the world. I don't think they knew too much about Australia and New Zealand. <clears throat> but as far as they're concerned, that was all the world you needed to know, needed to know anything about. For so many, for so much land, for so many years, Rome ruled its world with an iron fist. Well, all good things and other things do come to an end in this world. And Rome began to come apart at the seams. And a lot of Christians said, what's going on? The one constant in this world has been Rome. And not even Rome is crumbling. And there was a brilliant man by the name of Augustine. He was from a town named for a horse, Hippo. Because Hippo means horse. Hippopotamus means river horse. So Hippo or Hippus. Augustine of Hippo. He wrote a book translated into English, The City of God. And he said, folks, I know what you've been told all your life, but Rome is the eternal city. That was the ultimate tourist destination. But I want to tell you about the true eternal city. And he looked at some of the same passages we're going to look at. Because it's introduced in the prophecies of the Psalms and the prophets. But Paul, who was educated in the Old Testament texts, who was used of the Lord, who was taught of the Lord three years on the backside of the desert, he makes it clear that yes, there are Jews and yes, there are Gentiles. But at the end of Galatians, he refers to the Israel of God. And that's some people. Put some people on their heels. It's it puts some people on their heels today. First time I saw that, I that, that can't mean... Uh, because I was convinced that God had two programs. That there were two wives. His Old Testament wife was Israel. And the New Testament is the church. And uh, that's the way that works. I just have a hard time proving that from Scripture. I can find a lot of folks that believe that. And told me that's the way it is. In uh, Daniel chapter 2, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he had a dream of a metal man. Gold, silver, brass, iron. And the dream really bugged him. And he calls Daniel like a latter-day Joseph. And he said, what was in my dream? What does it mean? And he says, here's what you saw. You saw this huge man made of metal. Gold at the top. And then right below that, there was silver. And then brass. And then from about the diaphragm down, you've got iron. Just like Joseph told the Pharaoh, God has shown you what he's about to do. God used Nebuchadnezzar, who didn't know the content or the interpretation, 
But he brought Daniel along to say, you're the head builder. And it's true that the Babylonians, they fell to the Medes and the Persians. In fact, that happens in chapter 5 of Daniel. So you got the Babylonians, and you have the Medes and the Persians as silver. And then they fell in turn to the Greeks under the fellow we were just talking about, Al, Alexander. And then what Alexander had soon fell apart after his death. See, Alexander was a sly character. When he was laid dying in his deathbed, his generals surrounded the bed and they said, who gets the empire? And he said, it goes to the strongest. You know what that means? They decided to duke it out and pull the whole thing apart. And those parts get picked up by this city on the Tiber in what we call Italy and grab, add, and control and have some new enemies to expand and expand and expand. Old Jerusalem had its pride. That was the temple. That represented that old Jerusalem. The golden days of the Hebrew people. They hark back and some Orthodox Jews still talk about how wonderful it was. When David and then Shlomo, we say Solomon, had this trip. I mean, Solomon was so wealthy. He didn't eat with plastic knives, forks, and spoons. Didn't eat on china plates. He didn't even have stainless steel. He didn't even have silver. He was first class, top flight. Silver was junk to them. They had gold. Gold instruments. All of that. Great as that might seem when we survey history and when we consider civilization, I want you to know God has built a city for his own. It's pictured back in Genesis, and that's why I gave you a mini lesson about Salem before it came to be known as Jerusalem. Go back with me to chapter 14 of Genesis. We're into the days of Abraham. <clears throat> Genesis 14. Look at verses 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. Can you figure this guy? He was a king and he was a priest. Pretty important verse. And he, that is Melchizedek, blessed him, that is Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, that's Abraham, gave him tithes of all. Now, Kizedek was such a being that Abraham paid his tithe to him. He said, why did you give it to the church? I don't read that there was a church back then, do you? Now look ahead to Hebrews chapter 7. Because whether it was Paul or someone else, the Holy Spirit had some men write these words down. The opening of Hebrews 7, the first couple of verses. For this Melchizedek, <coughs> king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Can you think of anybody who is a king and a priest in Israel? It was the tribe of Benjamin that provided the first king, Saul. And then later it was Judah, the one with David, etc., etc., etc. But if you were of the tribe of Benjamin or Judah, could you be a priest? Not in the Aaronic consideration. No, if you were a priest according to the Aaronic style, you were of the tribe of Levi. And you couldn't count both. You couldn't double dip, so to speak. So who could be a king and a priest? If you're one, you can't be the other, and vice versa. 
That's why Jesus Christ is not the Aaronic priesthood. He's of a greater and older order. Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay? Well, this Melchizedek came and said, Priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all. We call that a tithe. Or as one of my students in Memphis called him a tith. First being by interpretation king of righteousness. And after that also king of Salem which is king of peace. What do you know about Melchizedek? He was without father, without mother, without descent. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. The more you read about Melchizedek, the more question marks you have. But made like unto the Son of God abideth the priests continually. Now consider how great this man was on whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Long before there was a Levi and the Levitical tribe and the, of course the Aaronic priesthood. There was this man and there was that priesthood. Now there is a city and Abraham looked for a city, but he wasn't looking for one that we think of, the sort of city that we're used to. Look at, move ahead a little bit to Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> What's it say in verse 10 about Abraham? What was he looking for? For he looked for a city which had foundations. He wasn't so much concerned with the brick, the block, the mortar. He was concerned with what do we go back to? Who authorized this? What's its origin? Whose builder and maker is God. God has a city. God has established. God has perpetuated a great city. We sometimes sing about Beulah Lane. We sing about the home over there. We talk about citizenship. Yeah, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, but far greater the citizen of heaven. And if you're a child of God, you are too. Regardless of what label you might have, regardless of your affiliation, it would be best, I think, for all of God's people to be involved in His church. To do the work of the kingdom. See, you're born into a kingdom. You're born into a family. You're not born into a church. But you're only qualified to be a member of the church if you've been born into the family. If you've been born into the kingdom. And so, <clears throat> what is said about this city? What do we see in verse 8? As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. When Jerusalem fell in AD 70, the Romans surrounded it and they clobbered that city and it lay basically in ruins. It's been kind of sort of rebuilt. It came to be dominated by the Muslims. And then when the Pope said God wills it, they had crusades. And only the Lord knows how many died. And how much money was spent trying to recapture. And today, the city of Jerusalem, it's divvied up. You have a Jewish region. And you have a Christian region. And you have a Muslim region. And none of them are gamed up blend the whole thing. No? That's what they did. But of this city, which of the glorious things have been spoken. That's why I asked you if we knew that 87th Psalm in the form of glorious things of the earth spoken. <coughs> Zion, city of our God. Repeatedly, it's God Himself and His provision pictured as a refuge for His people. That's all through the Word. The name of the Lord is a great thing. We run to it and we are safe. Especially as we looked just a couple of songs ago. 
Psalm 46. You know why it should mean something to read about this? Because as Christians, we don't have deep roots. I know some people say, oh, we've lived in this area years and years, years, generation after generation. I hear on the radio there's a group that says, if your family has owned and farmed the same land for a hundred years, we want to know about it. We want to make a big deal about it. I can appreciate that. But there's a day coming when this world won't be. We'll have new heavens and new earth. There won't be an Arkansas. There won't be a United States of America. There won't be any of the political entities with which we are familiar. You hear talk about elections? I don't know that we're going to have any elections in heaven. There won't be any coming around and asking for your vote pointing fingers and patting backs and all that sort of thing. But in this world, in the big picture, you know what we are? <coughs> Pilgrim. After the English Bible, the top-selling bit of literature printed in the English language is a book that was coined by a Baptist preacher written while he was in Bedford Jail. You know what I'm talking about? What was the man's name? John Bunyan. John Bunyan. A friend of mine was preaching. He says, we need to know more about Bunyan. And somebody came up to him later and says, now, we don't believe in fairy tales around here. What are you talking about? Now, you said something about Paul Bunyan. No, not Paul Bunyan. The guy with the big blue ox. John Bunyan. Who that? John Bunyan. He wrote profusely, prolific. What's that mean? He wrote a lot of stuff. And the greatest thing he wrote was Pilgrim's Progress. You don't have to have a buckle on your hat to be a pilgrim. But a pilgrim who knows this is not my permanent home. I'm just passing through. That's why we sing that song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's why we had that beautiful song. I don't think I'd heard it before we moved to Arkansas. Beautiful land. That's our real home. We're homesick for heaven if we're spiritually minded. If we're not, hey, we're, I'm okay with Polk County. Yeah. But believe it or not, there's something greater than Polk County. There's something greater than Arkansas. And I mean no disrespect. I mean, <coughs> this is our home. For now. But someday, won't live at 801 Hickory. Won't live in the city of Mena. Won't be living in the state of Arkansas. Won't say I'm a citizen of the USA. But I have a citizenship. I have a home. I have a permanent possession in that which the Lord has. Jesus was talking about that in John chapter 14. I think you're probably familiar with this, but I love to read it, and I hope you do too. Because when you think about what's going on in this world, uh, I'll let you know a little secret. I'm not a big fan of Joe Biden. Stone me if you want, but that's my conviction. But I want you to know this. Donald Trump is not our Savior either. That's right. we got to know that. I was talking with Paul Brown before he went to Thailand. And uh, he was talking about Ronald Reagan. I said, well, I think he's the greatest president we've had in my lifetime. But he wasn't Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, humanly speaking, pretty good fellow, but doesn't hold a candle to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Biden didn't hold a candle to Reagan, but that's another story. The fact is, I can't get too comfy, and you better not either. Locke probably got kind of comfy inside him, and then he saw everything he worked so hard to achieve go up in smoke, or at least he smelled it. He heard it. 
his wife had to get one last look. That was a pretty expensive look, wasn't it? Jesus preached the whole sermon and he said three words. Remember Lot's wife. Don't go there. You don't want that. And so, yeah, when you think about this world, you're going to have heartache. You're going to have disappointment. You're going to have regret. You're going to say, Lord, take me home. That's because this isn't our permanent home. But in the 14th of John, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You think you got something here? No offense, folks, but what we own here on this earth is nothing compared to heaven. You look at a house, it's got so many bedrooms, so many bathrooms. You think you need bedrooms in heaven? Or bathrooms? Or closets? You think they could make these for bookshelves? <laughs> I don't think there'll be cardboard boxes in heaven, do you? Paul said, I hope not. <laughs> Sure enough. <clears throat> you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are just a few little shacks. No. It says many mansions. Dad used to do gardening for a house. <coughs> I think they had 68 rooms in the house. But what would you need a 68 room house? in heaven. Won't ever have to call a plumber, electrician, or anything like that. But there are places. And the Lord says, if it were not so, I would have called you. I go to prepare a place for you. You won't have any complaints about what the Lord provides for you. That suggests to me we really shouldn't complain much about what He's provided for us right here. You know, it would be wonderful if the Bible had a passage that having food and raiment let us be with... Oh yeah, he did. He told, Paul told that to Timothy. If you have food and clothing, be content. God meets your needs. If He takes care of the birds, God cares for us more than the birds. How much more is a man regarded by the Lord than a sheep yeah, you ought to think about the animals that God's given you to be a steward of, but far greater. Think about what the Lord has done with them for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's not going to leave you in the lurch and receive you unto myself. You know what? Where I am, there ye may be also. We're going to be with Jesus. Well, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff. You know what's even greater than it? You're going to be with Jesus. And I want my trophies. I want my hero badges. I want this. I want that. If the Lord says you don't need it, you better not be lusting after it. But the Lord is the one who provides. Now what did the Old Testament saints do? Let's go back to Hebrews. Chapter 11. Sometimes it talks about a city. Sometimes it talks about a country. <clears throat> but a, a place to belong. A place that is made and marked out for you. After he's talked about Abel and so many others through Abraham and Sarah. Now we have kind of a collective here starting in verse 13. These, that includes through Abraham, the faithful ones. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but you know what? Having seen them afar off, they could see it. Not with the eye of flesh, but with the eye of faith. You remember what Jesus said to those renegade Jews in John 8? He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He didn't see it with the eye of flesh, but he saw it with the eye of faith. And he saw it. And was glad. So I can't wait to get to heaven. Streets of gold. No sweat. <clears throat> no pain and suffering and all of that. What should really thrill us is we'll be where Jesus is. 
It'll be the fulfillment of all that we have hoped for. But having seen them afar off, can't touch it, but you can see it with the eye of faith. And we're persuaded and embrace them. This is what excites me. And confess that they were strangers. I don't really belong here. You ever get on this world and say, I just don't fit in here. You know what? You have assessed the situation. That's the way it is. Confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Pilgrim is somebody who knows I'm just passing through. I better not get too comfy here. For they that say such things, and we ought to be some of those, declare plainly that they seek a country. You know, I got something better. Somebody says, well, there's Beverly Hills. You know, as a kid, they had a show about some folks that lived around Bug Tussle, Arkansas. They, they, he'll shoot you some food and who comes the oil and they're rich. And so they go to Beverly Hills. Oakland had its own version of Beverly Hills. It's called Piedmont. That's where the money, money, money people live. But some people want to settle for something like that. In Little Rock, they talk about the heights. If you're going to live in Little Rock, that's the classiest place. But you know, you got something better than Beverly Hills or any other region, any other area you might think of. They seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country but once they came out, they might have had an opportunity to return. What did Abraham do? He left Ur the Chaldees. Probably wasn't just a little dumpy shack. He probably had really nice stuff. But he lived the rest of his life in tents. Temporary dwellings. That's a good picture for us. But now they desire a better country. How? How much better? Is it an upgrade like what you get? You move from this area, get the U-Haul and move it on up? I remember another TV show, somebody moved on up to the east side, you know. Got them a deluxe apartment and all that. No, don't, don't, don't wish you had what the Jeffersons had because you got something a lot better. Now they that desire a better country as a heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Has it ever occurred to you that some Christians have such sorry excuses that if the Lord did such things, He'd do a face palm on yeah, those people? Well, they're still coming along. I'd rather be one like Job, that the Lord says, You know, devil, you want to pick on somebody. Uh, look at this fellow. He, he didn't say, Look at Lot, or look at somebody else like that. Better to strive to be like that man. What does it say about God? He hath prepared for them a city. We have a prepared place. That's what Abraham was looking for. That's what Jesus talked about in John 14. And that's what the book of Hebrews is saying here as well. Now the Old Testament saints, by their actions, let that be known. And New Testament saints, we are to evaluate and act. Another good thing that I'd like to find in the Bible. You are the light of the world. Mm. City so on a hill cannot be hid. That, that's in the Bible too, isn't it? We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. See how you are so good to me, brother? I sure appreciate that. Actually, God put it in the book, laid it on your heart to teach it, and be to preach it. So let's give God the glory. Amen. Our citizenship is in heaven. Back up to the book of Philippians, real quickly. Chapter 3 and verse 20. Turn over there, please. Excuse me just a moment here. Philippians 3.20 For our conversation Literally that's our citizenship 
Our conversation is in heaven. Heaven's our home. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should look with that perspective. We should understand along those lines. And the book before that is Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. And there are verses in chapter 2 besides 8, 9, and 10. I'm glad for those, but I'm glad for the others too. Look at verse 19. Based on what he said up to here, he says, Now therefore, now maybe you've never heard this before, but a good saying in Scripture, when you come across the word therefore, if you're not sure why, go back and look at before and ask yourself, what is that there for? So, drawing everything together. Now therefore, you're no more citizens, strangers, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Uh, we got this big building not too far from our house. <laughs> they call it St. Agnes. Isn't that what they call it? Something like that. And oh, it's, it's St. Letitia's Day. And it's St. Bartholomew's Day. It's St. this, ain't St. that. You know who the saints are? As Barsha's Grammy would say, weeds. Weeds are the saints. Ron Mitchell used to talk in his theology class. He said, folks, you're either a saint or you ain't. <laughs> I put on one of my earlier Bibles, Saint Reigns. So, who do you think you are? Just like you. We're saints. That's who Paul wrote to. You don't have to have somebody in some council Declare hundreds of years after you're born that you're a saint. God makes you saints. A separated one. You're one who's saved by the grace of our great God. The scriptures describe this new Jerusalem. And it doesn't include a temple. You say, no temple? How could we possibly get bought? Revelation 21. We're almost through. Revelation chapter 21. What's it to say to describe the new heavens and new earth? Well, the first two verses of Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and new earth. What's going to happen to the old one? Gone. Taken out. Just like it says, second paper through. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. You want to take an ocean cruise then? There's no sea. I guess that means won't be a whole lot of flippers. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, you ladies who are married, I have an idea that the day you married, you ought to make sure you were clean, as clean could be. Not a hair out of place. You want to look best. I heard somebody talking to Miss Grace, and they said, Now, when it's time to get ready for the wedding, you ladies in waiting, maid of honor, and all the rest, what you look like is secondary to the bride. If she'd rather be dolled up first, dolled up last, or whatever, you work around her, because that's what the focus is about. <clears throat> Talk about one greatly ordained. And then drop down to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain and showed me that great city. This is after the old heaven and old earth passed on. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And there's more in this chapter. In fact, 23 to the end of for time consideration, I won't read that, but I wouldn't like to go back and check it out. Kind of nice to see what the Lord's got prepared for us. Hasn't entered in our mind, actually, but the Lord has revealed by His Spirit. I mentioned Augustine. He wrote a book, The City of God, to let the people, especially the people in and around Rome, realize Rome is not 
the eternal city. Rome has no promise from God. There is an eternal city. And it's not going to be conquered by enemies without or from factions within. It is the true eternal city. And that's why he called this book the city of God. In grad school, the professor said, we're going to talk in this class about three great political thinkers. Talked about Plato, Aristotle, and Augustine, and then Machiavelli. The final exam was to write an essay on which of the four I could best appreciate. <laughs> You know, folks, that was a no-brainer. I didn't talk about Plato or Aristotle. The world puts them on a pedestal. And I sure didn't talk about Machiavelli, but Augustine. He understood that there was something greater than this world. The world's attitude could be summed up when they used to have a beer commercial. These guys out in the swamp, it don't get any better than this. I sure hope so. It certainly does. We have a greater and an abiding eternal. We wrap it up with Hebrews 12, verse 22. Where have we come at this point? We're not going to go back to Babylon or earthly Jerusalem or Athens or Rome or London or Washington, D.C. or Little Rock. Now, all those are going to be gone. But here's what we have to look forward to. Hebrews 11, 22, uh, 12, 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Not a point on the map that we have today. That's spiritual. And unto the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Oh, and you have company. Not just folks there. And to an innumerable company of angels. You talk about having good neighbors. Somebody, oh, my, my neighbors are an angel. Well, not really. But it will be. You'll have angels for your neighbors. That's a pretty good deal. So next time, and I know we got an election coming up. We got uh, primaries. We got statewide elections. And we have a duty to be responsible. But the big picture is we have something far greater than anything man builds. Anything that man aspires to under his own power. Don't crave for a city built by men, whether it's Cain, whether it's the people after the flood, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander or the Caesars. Think of a city made without hands. A city whose builder and maker is our God. Let's stand for prayer. <clears throat>